0: Republican State Senator Dan Hageman is often at the center of substantive policy debate as the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. But this year, Hageman is doing more than just handle the budget. He's sponsoring a big change to how Missouri draws state House and state Senate districts. The Cosby Republican joins us next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking. So let's hit the music.
1: is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to
0: uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where
2: I didn't have the money. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Julie O'Donoghue, and from Jefferson City, my co-host...
0: Jason Rosenbaum.
2: ...is with me. And we are here today with Senator Dan Hageman from District 12 in Northwest Missouri. The senator comes from a long line of farmers, and he was previously in the Missouri House of Representatives. He's the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, so we're going to spend a good deal of our time with him talking about the state's finances. Welcome Senator.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you.
2: (laughs) I know you've been on the program before, but I'd like to hear this. Could you tell us what the boundaries of your district are? Jason tells me it's quite large.
1: You bet. It's uh, 15 counties of uh, the greater part of northwest Missouri. Uh, it's a very largely rural district. It's, it's, it is it's the biggest senatorial district in the state. It uh, goes from Iowa border uh, all the way down through Clay County to the Missouri River and from the Kansas-Nebraska border almost over to the Kirksville area, uh, area north and northeast of St. Joseph. So it, um, it, uh, it is a large district, yeah, and again, I really enjoy the opportunity to visit with my rural colleagues there and, and constituents.
2: Well, we primarily have you on the show today to talk about the state, state finances. We will get to a few other topics later. You are the head of the Committee on Appropriations, and I guess I wanted to start out by asking, how do you think things are with the budget right now this year, and what do you think is going to happen in the out years?
1: You know, I think the budgets uh, and the revenues are coming in well this year. Uh, you know, and actually, we are looking, uh, for the most part, looking back two years for what I consider a, a more accurate uh, uh, view of the budget right now. Um, you know, last year at this time, we were having troubles with the withholding tables. And uh, so, if you just look back one year, it kind of skews. Uh, the uh, revenue that's coming in, but looking back two years gives us a little bit better feel for what uh, you know how much what the revenue truly is coming in. You uh, once you once we've corrected the withholding tables.
0: One thing that kind of broke over the last couple of days is the inability for the House, Senate, and Governor to uh, come up with what's known as a consensus revenue estimate. I want you to explain to our listeners what a consensus revenue estimate is, because I think that would be helpful to knowing yeah. why and also. Is it a big deal that you couldn't come up with one?
1: Yeah, you know the consensus revenue estimate is where the House staff, uh, budget staff, uh, the Senate budget staff, and the governor's uh, office of uh, budget and planning get together, Uh, and I think there's a uh, MU professor that uh, comes together, and they and they look at um, economic uh, analysis and, and projections. They look at the revenues coming in, and they try to come up with a consensus. You know revenue estimate. So basically, one that they can agree upon. Uh, it happens every year. It really doesn't have the the chairman, you know, of the House or the Senate or the governor really involved. It's it, it's it's really done by the staffers. And uh, this year uh, we were you know, I'm disappointed that we didn't come to a consensus. Uh, but that does that just means that we'll be uh, working off of our own um, estimates as we go forward. You know, so in this regards, you know, the governor will have his uh, his. Estimate of what the revenues will have for fiscal year 2021 is the fiscal year that we will be working on now. Uh, We did agree on the fiscal year 2020 uh, for the continuation of this fiscal year. Uh, and uh, we, we did find consensus on that, but it's it's next year's budget that we didn't find consensus on. And so, uh, you know, the House and the Senate and, and the governor's office will be working off of a, a different estimate of what we get. This has <laughs> happened before. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's great to have a consensus revenue estimate, but, uh, you know, certainly we, we've not had them in the past and, and probably won't have them in the future. Um, and we will, I really look forward to working with the governor and the House and the Senate uh, to continue to work in a fashion like we did last Last year uh, where we uh, had a bill that was actually truly agreed and finally passed and then the governor didn't find anything that he needed to veto in it. So I would hope that we could uh, achieve that same goal again this year.
2: Can you explain is is one of you all higher than the other? I'm assuming that's the difference. Someone's coming in with a lower revenue estimate. Someone's coming in with a higher. Can you say can you give a little bit more of a detailed explanation and is there a gap? Like what's the size of the gap between the differences?
1: yeah, there's a bit of di- uh, difference on on what we think that the uh, revenue estimates would be. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, some of them are higher, some are lower. Uh, you know, and um, you know, so uh, you know, look, do look forward to working with everybody to try to to uh, achieve a, a, a you know a budget that will address the needs of the state of Missouri and our taxpayers.
0: I think the other thing that a lot of people are talking about as the session mm-hmm. uh, begins is this specter of Medicaid expansion. Sure. There's a well-funded ballot initiative that is likely going to be on the ballot. And I've asked a lot of Republicans, would it make more sense to spend this session coming up with their own Medicaid expansion, figure out how to pay for it, get it done, and basically preempt this ballot initiative so you would have some flexibility and put your stamp on it? And I've gotten the sense that Republicans are not interested in doing that. They're just kind of hoping the ballot initiative fails and don't have to deal with Medicaid expansion. What's what's kind of your view of that scenario? You know, I think
1: there's varying opinions on that. I've heard that too. That that some people may be considering, you know, looking at an alternative proposal to the initiative petition that's out there. Uh, and I've got a lot of colleagues that just flat out just you don't want to address it at all, and and um, and just you know hope to defeat the uh, the. Uh, Initiative petition that's out there, you know. E- either way, I mean, as the as the uh, appropriation chairman, I do worry about the impact on the state's budget, in, and and it's our discretionary dollars, our general revenue dollars, is that is what I uh, am concerned about. Um, you know, e- even as the Medicaid stands in the state of Missouri right now, every year it seems like our Medicaid budget eats up or consumes more of our general revenue. Uh, budget as a proportion of it, which means, it, and it's just, it, it, we, we can't print money in the state of Missouri, so we do have a finite uh, amount of money that we can use for, you know, all our, our discretionary services, which include higher education, elementary, secondary education, corrections, public safety, um, and, and dealing with Medicaid. So the, the, the concern there is if we, in increase the roles on Medicaid, will that even make it more difficult? Will it take even more money and put more pressure on those other areas Um, because it's considered a mandatory uh, amount that we have to come up with to fund Medicaid every year? If we expand it, does that take more away from public education, public safety? Uh, higher education, and etc.
0: Couldn't you find other revenue streams to pay for Medicaid expansion? I mean, I know that you sponsored legislation to, I guess, allow managed care organizations to self-tax. I mean, you could tax vaping products. You could use online sales tax. You could raise the tobacco tax. Yeah. Like, I understand Republicans are like, I don't want to raise taxes under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. But it's not as if you don't have Options to get the money and not have to take it from something else.
1: Yeah, I mean that that, that would be one of the proposals that uh, that you come up with additional revenues to, to, to try to deal with this. I don't think, and I don't believe that's part of the initiative petition uh, that's that's being proposed out there. Uh, so that would have to come from a different a different source. Would have to find a different way of, of addressing that. Uh, it, should we should we look at that? And of course, we are looking at the wayfair, uh, the internet sales tax issue. Uh, out there. Um, and we will do the uh, federal reimbursement allowance again this year. That's a bill I have in that uh, that that we that's how we largely fund the Medicaid in the state of Missouri uh, as it is right now. And um, we've had uh, you know move that forward every, every year, it seems like, and, and did have that discussion last year where we ended up not taxing uh, the um, managed care entities that deal with Medicaid in the state of Missouri. Uh, you know, was not the will of the legislature to do that, so uh, we've we've approached that. It, it didn't go over well, and so um, you know th- that's probably not an option as it sits presently. And so finding revenue streams would be one answer. You know, or, or living within our means. You know, and 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 um, you know, putting pressure on those other areas would be another answer
2: for the managed care organizations mm-hmm. willing to go along with with being uh, assessed a fee or a tax?
1: It, it, like, like most things, some were and some weren't. Uh, you know, uh, Some of the entities that uh, work with the state of Missouri in the managed care uh, with our Missouri Health Net, you know, I think were uh, inclined to uh, allow that. And then some other managed care entities that work with the private sector uh, industries uh, were less inclined to, to see that pass.
2: It seems like the House leadership is very concerned about what's going to happen with the budget not necessarily this year but in future years they they foresee a lot of pressures on the budget. Yep. I was wondering if you were in agreement and could you explain what some of those pressures are beyond medicaid expansion?
1: You bet. Yeah, and I think I mean that's why I think we're all looking at conservative budgets no matter what uh, what view we come at. Uh, from this at, you know, the House, Senate, or the Governor's office. Uh, some of the pressures that we see out there, you know, we've had an extremely long expansion now uh, of our economy. At some point, uh, you know, there is bound to be a, 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 a fallback, a recession. And so I think many of us are wanting to prepare for that some so we don't end up uh, in a situation where we're having to, uh, you know, do a lot of budget cuts and core cuts uh, to address the issue. Uh, you know, the, the expansion or the increase in the minimum wage, uh, out there, and as that translates through state government and the entities that we, that we fund, uh, that's some additional pressure as well. Um, you know, the, the, you know the Medicare uh, that goes to nursing homes, you know, uh, some of our uh, rehab facilities, some of our uh, developing disabled uh, facilities, you know, independent living centers, they all, uh, you know, are concerned about the expansion of, of uh, minimum wage and, and the impact on their budgets. And so that's something that we need to address. You know, there's a few, a couple of court cases out there that uh, that are looming, uh, and should they uh, finally get resolved, they could be very high uh, amounts. Like uh, the Department of Corrections. Like one. the Department of Corrections, one is the one that that uh, uh, that that is looming out there right now, and and that will certainly put some pressures on the on the state budget. And so all these things taken together, you know, is why, um, you know, I think all of us are looking at uh, coming in with a fairly conservative budget uh, and largely like to put some money on the bottom line to be able to address, like I say, uh, these issues as they come forth.
2: Could you explain briefly, just in case people aren't familiar, what the Department of Corrections lawsuit is?
1: Well, certainly, I'm not an expert on it, but uh, to my understanding, there was a lawsuit brought forth uh, dealing with the timekeeping and uh, and responsibilities going along with correctional officers. Uh, basically, were asked to, um, you know, do some work off off, you know, off the time card. I guess, I, to my understanding, it is basically like when they were checking in. Uh, and then didn't get paid until they got to their assignment location, and mm-hmm. so that uh, you know that may be like fifteen minutes it took to for them to to walk to that. Uh, and I think uh, the, the, that's where the courts came down. You multiply that times the number of officers out there times the number of years, and it, it becomes a considerable amount of money.
2: Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to talk about clean Missouri and low income housing tax credit. And we're back with Senator Dan Higgeman of Northwest Missouri. Jason, I'm going to throw to you to talk to the senator about the next couple topics.
0: So uh, one of the topics I've been following for many years is the low-income housing tax credit issue, which I know that you were knee-deep in last year as the handler of a Senate bill that lowered the amount of state low-income housing tax credits that could be divvied up every year by the Missouri Housing Development Commission. It passed the Senate, which I thought was the big hurdle, and then it ran into more changes in the House, and, and nothing ended up getting done. The governor said at the beginning of last session that he was not going to restart the program unless the legislature did something. I talked with him again, and he seemed to be kind of wavering from that, and there is some expectation that he may restart the program even if the legislature doesn't do anything. If he is going to restart the program, does that mean there's really going to be no effort to change the low-income housing program? Well, I
1: think we're still going to try to, you know, as I introduced the bill again, to try to uh, provide some legislation and guidance uh, on, on that program. You know, uh, many folks have uh, been concerned about the num- amount of money that we put to that program. There are already federal tax credits out there for low-income housing. I like to call it workforce housing. Uh, you know, And there's a great need in many of our areas for workforce housing. Um and so it would be nice to match that with a state program. and But uh, there certainly is some desire to put some caps on it. Right now it has no caps on the, on the program. It's a it's 100% of what the, the federal uh, government has. Um, and I think that the state, you know, just here again it comes down to this or that. It, it, it's a matter of priorities. Do we want to put money into this or do we need it for nursing homes? Do we need it for the elderly? Do we need it for, um, you know, uh, corrections and such like that? Um, and so it's just a matter of priorities. You know, any tax credits really come off the top, you know, are never discussed as we go through the appropriations process. It's just money that we don't have, uh, you know, in the, uh, the, in the budget to deal with. And so it doesn't get the uh, opportunity for the legislature to decide where is the best use of, of those dollars because, because it just comes off the top.
0: Do you think that Governor Parson should direct his MHDC appointees to restart the program before session is over?
1: I hope that we can get the you know the legislation passed again. So it's a very similar uh, piece of legislation that we had last year, capping it at seventy-two and a half percent of the uh, federal um, uh, amount of, uh, low, for low-income housing, as I like to say, workforce housing. Um, and and we've got some other provisions in there to try to deal with some changes as well. Uh, Basically, where we ended up last year, uh, as we, as we dealt with the house, that uh, it it did pass out of the Senate thirty three zero. So I mean, we got uh, some unif- uh, unanimity uh, passing out of the Senate. Ran into some the House, uh, and we were just capping it last year in the yeah. Senate. Uh, the House wanted to put some additional measures in it to 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 drive some efficiency into the program and to get a bigger bang and, and a bigger uh, you know, return on our dollars uh, in that program. Um, and and that's where we got hung up and weren't able to get it done so i I'd love to see us be able to pass this legislation again and give support uh, legislative support in this and and put the cap on it um you know there is i mean there is always an opportunity it was stopped by a, a governor's action and it could it could certainly you know start up again with the governor's action as well but we will have the discussion once again
0: um I want to move on to Clean Missouri, Uh which I think is going to be a big flashpoint early in the session. You are one of, I guess, three or four senators who have sponsored a constitutional amendment to make changes to the 2018 amendment. Um, We've talked about Clean Missouri a lot on this show. I'm not going to rehash what it does, but it does stuff with lobbyist gifts lobbyist waiting period, sunshine law for legislative documents, but most importantly, state legislative redistricting. And I read through your proposed constitutional amendment, and it goes from $5 per lobbyist gift to $0 a lobbyist gift. And it basically goes from the current system where a demographer holds much of the power to draw House and Senate districts to where a commission had first crack at the districts, but more often than not, appellate judges drew it. Is that? Am I describing your amendment correctly?
1: Yeah, it, it really t- gives the uh, voters the opportunity to once again look at this issue uh, and uh, see if they'd like to, to instead of empowering a demographer that has a great deal of power and and has a number of criteria that I think will um, dramatically impact my communities. I, I will tell you, I came out against it, you know, uh, you know, when it when it passed, and I talked against it my fear is that it will break up communities of interest that are near and dear to my heart in the rural areas and also in the urban you know inner city areas you know i think these are communities of interest that uh, that uh, you know have a distinctive flavor to them uh, all and, and, and I think that they will lose their voice. Their voice will be diminished in this effort, and that's why I brought forth the uh, resolution again to give the voters an, another opportunity to look at this issue and um, basically come up with districts that I think will be less gerrymandered than the issue that passed. Uh, under the pretense that it would get away from gerrymandering, I, I I am fully convinced that we will have very interesting, long stringy districts under the the uh, constitutional amendment that passed.
0: Obviously, the proponents of clean Missouri are not for your amendment. Sure. Uh, Sean Sonker Nicholson, yep. who was the campaign manager for it, has uh, ticked through a number of of contentions about what these uh, your proposal does. Sure. One of the things he says is it, quote, guts fairness rules because I think it takes the formula about competitiveness and fairness and moves it down the list of, of like, priorities and also makes changes to it. Is that accurate, first of all?
1: My, my uh, bill would make, uh, you know, contiguous districts and, and compact districts a, a higher priority so you don't break up counties, so you don't break up Cities, You don't break up communities or less likely to do that, which is where we have been in the past. This is basically where we've had in the past and, and gives that to a bipartisan commission to, to, to look at, at drawing these these boundaries again. Um, and I like the concept of not breaking up what I call communities of interest, because I think that they have a distinct flair. You know, I think northwest Missouri is different than. Inner city St. Louis, inner city Kansas City, different than southeast Missouri. And, you know, I, 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 I relish, I cherish that distinctiveness, um, you know, as well as I ch- cherish the distinctiveness of those, those uh, you know, other areas. You know, Kansas City, St. Louis, Columbia has a different flair. You know, southeast Missouri, southwest Missouri, we all have different um, aspects and, and different takes on on what's important to the state. And I love those cultural aspects. Uh, you know, aspects come into the legislature, and and I feel that this bill would would break those communities of interest up uh, at the at the desire to get what uh, your, your gentleman would call a fairness issue to try to get to a a, a competitive district. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think there's some areas of the state that that there are just not you know there's not maybe that competitive a districts because they reflect the character and the nature of the people.
0: I feel like the real issue with clean Missouri is the prior system emphasized compactness. And the reality of Missouri is, Democrats are highly condensed in St. Louis, Kansas City, and to some extent, Columbia, and the inner ring suburbs. So as long as compactness is emphasized as a top priority over competitiveness and fairness, Democrats are naturally going to be at a disadvantage. And really, the only way for them to have more seats is to maybe have, I I don't know if what you said like long spaghetti string districts, like across from like Hannibal to Nottoway County, is going to happen, yeah. but they're going to have to be, especially in the St. Louis, Kansas City area. Like, Kansas City will go east west, St. Louis will go like southwest, northwest, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But the de- like Democratic people would say, well, that'll create more competitive districts and that will create a more responsive slate of legislators. What would you have to say to that?
1: Well, and I think it comes at the expense of these communities of interest. I think it comes at the expense of the strong, uh, you know, support from, from cultural communities that truly reflect the nature and the, and the aspect of their, of their area. Uh, I value that, and that's why I'd like to give the people another shot to, 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 to take that into consideration as they look at this piece of legislation.
2: I wanted to ask you about a piece of legislation you filed this year to change the way the nonpartisan court plan works. Basically, right now, there's a commission that uh, picks three judges for a specific judicial seat. They forward the names to the governor. The governor pick, picks from the list of three. You, Your legislation would empower the governor more. The commission would have to like forward all the names of the qualified candidates, at least this is the way I read the legislation, to the governor, and then the governor would be able to pick someone from a much larger list of names. Why do you think it's important for the governor to have a bigger role in picking judges?
1: You know, I've uh, I've I, and I've had this bill uh, resolution in for a number of years now. Looking at the non-horse court plan, you know, right now I think there's a choke point in the in the process uh, of these three individuals that are uh, uh, moved on to the governor for his selection. And if the governor doesn't select them, then the, it falls back to the uh, you know the. the um, the committee to, to, to select one. Uh, so basically, the governor has to choose one of those three or, or nothing. Um, and I'd just like to give the governor more choice so that he could take into account some geographical, uh, you know, uh, aspects, uh, you know, try to get some greater balance, you know, have uh, around the state, uh, you know, have some urban, suburban, rural judges um, that go on to the appellate, appellate and the Supreme Court and such like that. Right now, I feel like the process limits the governor's ability to take those type of things into consideration, and I'd, I really would just like to give the governor more options to look at qualified candidates. It still allows the uh, committee to, to determine, or the commission, to determine, you know, what... It, who would be qualified and and honestly allows them to come up with the qualifications for uh people to be uh, brought forth to to the uh you know to the governor uh and right now and it would it would still require at least 3 to be submitted to the governor but it could be more than that it would basically just says that all qualified candidates And, again, it's their qualifications that they would uh, have to meet, um, but they would be able to go to the governor, and then the governor could select from a larger pool.
2: So I want to make sure I understand the bill. Does the bill require um, all the people who might be interested who happen to meet some uh, set of criteria to be forwarded to the governor, or does it just allow for a a larger pool of applicants? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: Yeah, right now it would require all uh, qualified applicants to be submitted to the governor.
2: You know, I think some c- cynics, probably from from the Democratic side, would look at this bill and say, "Well, you're a Republican. Missouri's trending conservative, which means the governor is more likely to be a Republican moving forward. You're just trying to empower." a person that you assume is going to be a Republican to pick the judges, what would you say to someone who, who said something like that, looking at the bill cynically?
1: Well, this doesn't, uh, I mean, the governor's uh, come and go. I mean, we've had, I've had the pleasure of serving under Republican and Democrat governors. It would just give the uh, governor a greater say in the uh, pool of applicants, let's say, and, and, and to be able to, like, as I said earlier, to take into consideration geographical placement, uh, you know, again, bringing those cultural differences from rural Missouri to suburban Missouri to urban Missouri uh, and allowing them to be reflected in the judiciary as well.
2: Do you feel like there are a dearth of judges from rural areas? Like, I do. No? Okay. <laughs> I
1: do. I, I do. I I feel like uh, uh you know uh, because of the uh, the way it's 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 set up right now, I do feel like uh, that some of the rural judges, you know, uh, it, it, you know, southern majority judges, northern majority judges, you know, uh, maybe don't have as, as uh, a, a great of an opportunity to make that panel to begin with. Uh, as as the folks that see each other in the urban areas on a, you know, on a monthly or d- daily basis. Yeah,
0: because I'm just thinking right now of the Missouri Supreme Court. There's Patricia Breckenridge, who's from Nevada, Missouri. There's obviously Zell Fisher, who's I think from your district in mm-hmm. uh, Tarkio, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Um, and the newest one, Brent Powell. I-, I think he's from the Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. And then the rest are either from Mid Missouri or St. Louis. That's just I'm just kind of going by memory there, and
1: I don't think that there's any on the Supreme Court from the Southern District. I, of I think Missouri. that's correct. And so, in my mind, that uh, I think that the Southern part of the state uh, should have uh, you know some represent, representation in the judiciary as well on the Supreme Court. So that's part of my motivation is to try to get some greater diversity uh, in the judiciary.
2: Okay, well, we're going to wrap up. Uh, Senator, we have been asking our guests to identify a place in their district that they would like to highlight uh, when they've been coming on the podcast recently. I'm sorry, I meant to warn you about this before the podcast started. This is
0: probably the most controversial question we ask because <laughs> you're going to offend you're going to offend 15 other counties <laughs> by picking only one or two things.
2: But, but do you have anything in your district you'd like to highlight? We've had people choose museums, restaurants, school districts, sp- particular schools. It's really run the gamut. Yeah,
1: yeah, I appreciate that. I have 15 counties, so you are making it very difficult for me to uh, pick out one. But I, 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 in general, I will tell you, I uh, think we have great institutions of higher uh, education in uh, Northwest Missouri, in particular,ly the Northwest Missouri State University and the Bearcats up there, uh, national champions in both football and basketball this last year, and and quite honestly, they do very well in in some of the uh, academic competitions as well. A, a great institution of higher education, very proud of the uh, Bearcats in Maryville, Missouri, but uh, they really represent all of Northwest Missouri.
0: Did you know that uh, a few weeks ago we were asked to three places where I would take the Hyperloop, and one of them was Maryville, Missouri, There you go. because not only am I a big fan of the campus, but there's an incredible Thai restaurant there. I don't know the name of the Thai. Do you know the Thai restaurant name? You don't live in Maryville, so of course you don't. I don't, but I
1: go to that Thai restaurant all the time. Uh, I'm not (laughs) making – guys, I'm not – It is a great Thai restaurant. I am not
0: making this up. Like It is probably the best Thai food I've had in the state of Missouri, and it is in Senator Dan Hageman's district. Do whatever you possibly can to go there.
2: Okay. Well, Senator, I'm so glad you came in. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Do you have anywhere, are you on Twitter, or do you have anywhere else on the World Wide Web where we can find you?
1: I do some modest uh, uh, social media on Facebook. So search
0: his name, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can
0: find me on, on Twitter at uh, Jay Rosenbaum, also on Facebook. I also have Instagram. I do not have a MySpace account anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at J S on Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook uh, at Julie O'Donohue. To read stories from Jason and me, go to stlpublicradio.org. Our news director is Shula Newman. Our politics editor is Fred mm-hmm. Ehrlich. And our sound engineer is John Larson. Thank you for listening and hope to have you back next time.